Warning, the following podcast contains violent scenes that may be unsettling to some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. In the fall of 2010, a single kinder travels to the Twin Cities of Minnesota to answer the call of an elder of his clan. Join us as Marco Giovanni is pulled by family loyalty into a strange territory in which he is forced to strengthen his family's influence, yet at the same time avoid destroying himself with his own dark desires. Hello, and welcome to Twin Cities by Night Eidolon. Twin Cities by Night Eidolon is a Vampire the Masquerade duet story with Adam playing Marco Giovanni and Chris as the storyteller. If you'd like to contact us, you can find us on Twitter and Facebook, where you can find up-to-date news and a link to our Discord. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can find us on Patreon at Twin Cities by Night. We hope you enjoy. So, there's a moment where he says boy, and in your head you stop, and you blink your eyes, and when you open your eyes, you hear screaming, and you're standing over him, and you have bashed his head, you think maybe, into the wall next to the fireplace. His arm is kind of caught on fire a little bit, his hand is on fire a little bit, not on fire, but it was in the fire, and you could smell the burning flesh. There's a pool of blood that's behind his head, and at first you thought the screaming was from him but you realize the screaming's from you because you've been bashing his head into the wall scream the whole time i'm not a boy and you realize as the last time you said boy came out you stop and you see brain matters on the on the stone like the fireplace has like stone around it you know and you see him slump down and his eyes look glazed over and you see blood is spurted out of his mouth and then you hear what the fuck you hear it from behind you and you look behind and you see the figure that was at the door is trying to grab his gun right now from his underneath his coat jacket. And there's a moment right before you think you're going to say what you're going to do. You see Roman's hands twitch a little bit. Go ahead. Scene's on you. So when I come to and I kind of see what I've done, I drop Roman. And it's like it almost takes me this brief moment to realize what's happening right now. But I see the man going for his gun and... I have to try to stop him. Whatever mess I'm in right now, I don't want to die in this house. All right. So what are you going to do to try to stop him? I'd like to see if I can just charge over to him and just rip the gun out of his hands. Just kind of overpower and intimidate him. Yeah, for sure. Do you have dominate by chance? Yes, I have one dot of dominate. So you could use dominate, you know, to tell him to stop, you know. Okay, I'm actually going to do that. Okay, so it's manipulation plus intimidation. And the difficulty is going to be this guy's willpower. Five. One success. So the figure, who's a brunette, who has like a 12 o'clock shadow, reaches in to his coat and stops. And he's just looking at you. And you feel, as you stare into his eyes, that you have that control that you like. That control that you wanted over Roman. How does that make you feel now that you kind of have this blood sate? I mean, what's your blood pool at right now, by the way? six now all right so you don't feel the hunger right now but i would say do you feel like almost like a control trip that you like yeah and it's really scary to him because he knows how bad this is but he's he's kind of feeling himself like sink into this kind of sadistic enjoyment of it too so he looks at the guy and he almost has like a scared look in his own face and he's just like run the guy looks at you for a second and then he just turns and he runs out the door he just books it and you're left on your own and you hear this 
and you turn around and you see that Roman is trying to slide himself along the floor like his back is facing you. And you see the back of his skull has been cracked in. Like no one should be able to survive that. It looks like almost like a sledgehammer has gone to the back of it. And you see that there's like skull fragments stuck in his brain. Some of it's hanging out. You see blood is just like pooling out. Like it almost goes with his heartbeat. Like like it almost has like a cadence. It comes down the back of his head. You can't even see the back of his head, the skin or his neck. There's just so much blood and it's collecting on the collar of his polo shirt there. It's making it a deep purple now instead of blue. And there's a moment where you see that figure as he's like seems to doesn't even know where he's crawling towards. And you see as you're looking at his head, you can see almost like behind his head in the backdrop. It almost looks like shins of a kid, like bare shins. And there's a whole bunch of them. And you look up even more and you see that there are multiple forms of children of that have pitch black eyes. And they have these dark shadow like scars going down from their sternum to their pelvic area. And they all stare blankly at you. It's almost like you can't even see the wall. And you see Romans like climb slowly in front of these children. And you realize at this moment, as you're staring at them, more are going out behind them. You look out the window that you can see and you see more are in the yard. And you realize that's what you felt when you walked in here. And you you see like he's turning his face towards you. And you can see one of his eyes and the whites of his eyes are all maroon now. Like his blood capillaries and his eye busted. And it almost looks like he's stroked out. His mouth is like kind of stuck and he's kind of trying to talk and like you see blood and like saliva is coming out of his lip as he's like looking up at you what are you doing what's going on in your head right now so he's crawling towards me and i see these children and marco's so horrified he kind of falls backwards and he's kind of like crawling backwards as roman is like lurching towards him and he sees all of these children and he does this vocal gasp where he's just like, <gasps> and he he's starting to like tear up a little bit as well to just see all these kids in like in this way. And he's, he's to just see this from beyond the veil is just really kind of horrifying for him. He wasn't ready. He tasted it in the air, but he didn't know this. I didn't, I didn't realize this is, this is what's happening. And he doesn't know like exactly what's happening, but it's just a, it's just like too much for him to take in right now, especially after what just transpired. And uh, he's going to like pick himself up, just like kind of runs out the front door and just gets back into his car. I'm going to try to just drive away. What's your humanity right now? Five, uh, actually six. So I'm going to make you roll a conscience roll, please. Difficulty eight. Zero successes. So when you get into the SUV and you peel out and you start rationalizing what you did for a second, it's explainable. He pushed you. He egged you on. It happened and you lose a dot of humanity. So you're down to five right now. I mean, it's, it's acceptable. It's rational. You know, like, like it sucks. You're not happy that like it happened, you know, but you're able to, you don't feel guilt about it. That's what's going on. How do you rationalize that? Now that I've told you that, I guess, how does Marco rationalize it? Well, it, certainly got away from him he's still telling himself he shouldn't have fucking done that but i'm like beating the steering wheel right now and i'm just like fuck like i'm more worried about my own ass than 
guilty about feeling guilty about what I did to him. He's justifying it by like, like he shouldn't have done that. I just, I wish he didn't do that. I, why so did he what, fucking do that? So what do you think is going to happen to him now that he's there in the house? What does Marco think? He has no idea. Honestly, he's thinking about if he should just confess to Rita and like, maybe if I just explain to her what happened, like she'll understand. Like, and he's like, maybe like I have to fucking go. Like, I, I don't, <laughs> he just didn't think this is how it was going to go down. He's kind of in a panic right now. He's in a huge panic right now. And he had this very calm, calculated demeanor going down here. Yeah. And it's like, he feels like somebody robbed him of that by pushing his buttons so hard. What does he usually do in a panic? Has, is this the first time he's been in a panic? Is this a, like a, is this a scenario where like Jamie would usually help you out and kind of be that rock and calm you down or in the past that has happened. Jamie has kind of picked up the pieces after, after bad stuff has happened, but he's not even like going there yet. He's like, she, like, cause in his head, he's thinking like, she's very capable, but she's, She's not in this shit like like I am right now, you know? Mm-hmm. And, like, I fucking just bashed Roman's head in. Like, Rita's going to be pissed. Like, they're all going to be pissed. Like, this is this is bad. Like, and he's just, he's speeding right now. And he's just, like, you know, he's, he's driving much faster than before. And, you know, how like, he was very calm and calculated in the car. Yeah. Just, like, this leisurely drive to Roman's. And now he's just, like, on the freeway, just, like, fuck and he's just like fumbling with everything he's trying to figure out who to call would you say we should have you do a dex and drive roll or yeah all right let's have you do a dex and drive roll difficulty seven one success so you're able to keep control as you're like burning through the 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 passing people you know driving all frantically hitting the wheel you see your phone you don't know who to call or anything like that but then you realize as you're looking at the phone you do realize like well there's one person in this city that you know that you can speak to, you know, and that's Jamie, you know, at this point, but it doesn't mean you have to call her, but you start calming yourself just a little bit, you know, after like 15 minutes of driving. I'm going to pull over at a rest stop somewhere and I'm going to get out of the car and I'm just going to call Jamie and I'm like pacing back and forth next to the SUV. And it's kind of like this highway rest stop where I can still hear the cars kind of zooming past me and stuff. And I'm just like pacing back and forth. And it's like nighttime at this this like highway rest stop and i'm dialing up jamie hello jamie it's marco i made a terrible mistake i, f- I woke up feeling just like well, okay t- what what did you do tell me what did you do i hurt roman badly is he alive i i i think so he he was crawling towards me and i i just stormed out of there get back in your car i'll meet you at his house I, okay okay jamie and I hang up and uh, I get, I do get back in the car and it's almost just like that hard U-turn where I'm just like, I get back and I start going the other way on the, uh, you know, I, I'm like going opposite direction and I'm just like flying back to the house right now. But I am worried because like, I know he has muscle. I know he has people that are, that guy that I scared away will be back eventually. You know, I'm, I don't know, but. With Jamie there, I think I can face the music to what what has just happened. Like that's what that's what you do in these situations in in business. You know, when mistakes are made, you you have to face the music. And you know, I'll just go down there and we'll clean up whatever mess we have to. And so I'm like I'm talking to myself like on the way there. I'm just like, you know, it's just a little slip up. It's fine. It's just a just a little mistake. As you're peeling, you peel into the driveway. 
And about like, I swear, like two or three minutes later, you just see her car just like coming up behind the car, you know, that she's gotten for this area. It's, a, it's like a, a town car, a, a luxury car, almost like a Cadillac of sorts. And she kind of pulls along the side of the fence, doesn't go in the driveway. And you just see, see her get out and you see her like close the door behind her. And she's wearing like the same sweatpants she wore before and, and, and the same shirt, but she has like sneakers on and a hoodie of the same college thrown on over on top of the shirt. And she has like a purse on or over there. And she sees she has a, uh, not a purse, a backpack. Excuse me. She's like this backpack, backpack slung over. And she's like walking over to you real quick. She's, and she, you could tell she's like scanning, looking around at the yard to see anything. And she gets up to you and she like hands you this pistol and she just like hands it to you. And she sees she has one in her hand. And she's like, is he the only one here? No, he, he has workers. He has muscle. I, I, I got one of them to leave, but. Did you see anyone else when you were here? Did I just see the guy that let me in? You just saw him. You just saw the guy who let, yeah. I think that was it. I think it was just him. Okay. Come on. And she goes and she goes up to the door and she like opens the door. And when she opens the door, you see like the door opens like two feet and then it kind of like stops like something's in the way. And you see like his hand on the bottom is like coming to the, like around the door and you see it's like all like got blood all over it. And you see, and you see him like, he's like trying to like, you know, he's laying on his stomach. He's like trying to like pull the door open and she's just like pushing it. She like kicks his hand a little bit, like kind of stomps on it a couple times and he's, his hand goes back and she's like, get in, get in. And she like waits for you to get in. And then she slams the door and like locks it. And you don't see any of those children anywhere right now. But you still feel that unease. And you see the figure. He's like looking like, again, he's like got that sideways look. And blood is just like trailed behind his head. You see the streak going along like the carpet. And it's going along the hallway that leads to the front. And she's like looking down at him. And she's looking up at you. She's like, you got three choices. You got three choices, Marco. You either bring him over. You give him some of your blood. And you hope that he heals and he keeps his mouth shut. Or we end it here. Marco's just like thinking. And he doesn't have time to think. He doesn't want to bring him over. But he's like, he's trying to just like play through all these different scenarios in his head. And it's just like, okay, I bring him over. He's my child. I'm stuck with Roman forever. What kind of life is that? Okay, I kill him. I let him die. Rita will be pissed. She'll fucking edge me out. I know it. And he just like, he's just going to go over to him and he's just going to like turn him on his back. He's going to cut himself and try to bleed it into uh, Roman's mouth. And you see that, like, you turn him over, and you can see his one side of his face is slack, like like a stroke victim. And you see his eyes, one of his eyes, like I said, are completely, like, bloodshot, and the other is rolling back in his head. And you cut your wrist with this, like, knife that you have in your pocket, like the a pocket knife that you carry around with you for such things. And you feel your, you force your vitae out, and you see it just, like, spilling along his mouth, dropping on his chin. It's going down his nose and you see he starts licking his lips like that. Take, go ahead and take away three blood pool points. You're at four right now. And there's a moment where Jamie's like looking at the intently and she's looking up at you. And then you see she goes and she's like, while you're doing that, she goes, walks down the hallway and she's looking around for a second. And then she goes up to you and she's like, okay, we got to carry him. We got to get him in bed. He's going to, if he can heal himself, he's going to heal himself. And she's like, you take under his arms. I'll take his feet, his feet. We hoist him up. You know, I'm just like, I'm sorry, Jamie. I panicked. And I'm showing this like weird kind of vulnerability to her right now. And like, it almost like, I feel like this huge shame and embarrassment as like, I say the words, like, because it's like, it's almost just like a little kid, like admitting to their parents or something that they just like really fucked up. But it's like, I've always maintained this kind of bravado with her. And I'm just like, Jamie, I panicked. I'm I'm sorry. 
listen, what, what happened? And she's like, as you guys are like putting him in this, like on the couch, like this nice leather couch he has, that's all getting all this blood on it right now that you guys like lay him down on this. He's just like, like, like still mumbling. She looks at you and she's like, what, like what happened? What led to this? We were just talking and he, he said something and I just, I just snapped. Well, did he insult you? And like, he's like, he's like, yeah, he called me and he just like, doesn't want to say it. He's just like, so he insulted you. You know what? He deserves this thing. You're better than him. You punished him. He needed to learn his place, right? That's why you're here. And that's why you're talking to him because he's not doing something right. And something happened because of him. So that's, what's going to be the story. You fucking punished him. I get, I'll tell you what, he's probably not going to do that again. And you can tell when she's getting worked up, you can hear like the Southern West Virginian in her coming up a little bit. You know, that's like been forced out of her accent from her education. She's like, that's the story. Then you taught him a lesson. I would say like that what you need to do now is you need to fix this fuck ups. You need to get the shit that you are here to fix, fixed it and show that this was part of the reason why this happened. Cause right. I, t- I was about to kill him, Marco. I'm not going to lie. And that would have made things worse, but this is a better decision here. And I bet he's going to be more careful when he talks to you now. You know, you're right, Jamie. You're right. You know, actually I might've, I might've, I might've, uh, I might've really helped here. I might've done everybody a favor, you know, by, by teaching him teaching him some manners this you're right you're right this is this is good this is this is good and he's like trying to <laughs> trying to psych himself up on it now but like he has this just you know i would say pale expression but he just has this really kind of grievous look on his face of just total stress and anxiety it's all how you frame it marco it's all how you frame it and that's what that's what you have to do right now that's what this is normal this isn't the first time we've had to clean up a mess right but this time, you know that he's 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 he he he's serving Rita, and she's in your good graces, and you're in her good graces. So what we need to do is we need to wait for this person to come back or someone else who serves him, and we're going to calmly explain that this was a family matter, and that he's going to survive, and that they need to make sure that he is going to heal up okay. And then we forget this happened. And if he ever brings it up, which we don't even know if Roman has the courage to do that, then you just kind of nod and said, "Hey, lesson learned, right?" Marco's looking down at his like crippled body basically and just like the state he's in and he knows that kindred vitae is like basically a magical substance but he even questions its ability to bring somebody back from this and he's looking down at him and he he puts his hand on Roman's head and he's just like poor Roman I know he's sorry man I'm sorry too and he's just like looking down. He does feel genuinely like he he's like still in disbelief that this situation got away from him as, as bad as it did. Uh, and he's just like, you know, looking at what he's done and just like being faced with it, standing over it. And just like now he want now, like they want to try to get him back up. And like, that's his motivation. He's looking at it now and just seeing the damage that he's done. And now we have to try to go back from that. He's just like looking at it and shaking his head. Listen, I'm going to take care of this. Okay. Cause you have, and she looks at her watch and she's like, you have about three hours until dawn. Okay. So I'm going to make sure that at least he gets the care that he needs to get. And the people that knows that, that know that need to take care of him are going to take care of him. Okay. Jamie, I can't leave you here. What if they, what if they come back with more people? Well, she stops for a second. She looks and she's like, she stops and she's thinking for a second. And then she goes up toward, no, I can't. I want to call, no. Then she thinks about for a second. She's like, who can we call? I mean, you can call Rita, but do you want to tell her that this happened to make sure he's taken care of? 
Or do we just leave him? Let's just leave him. If he survives, he survives. And they're going to find him and they're going to take care of it. What do you think? It's like Marco feels so scared that he wants to tell Rita. But he's just like, you're you're right. We'll, we'll leave him. And if you have to tell Rita, do the thing you have to do for her first. And then that maybe will buffer a little bit if she's upset with apartment number nine. Marco is like thinking through all of this stuff. And he's just like, maybe if I could validate the accusations against Roman, it would seem like what I did was in the best interest of everybody. And that's something that he's thinking, not saying out loud. Uh-huh. He's just kind of like rubbing his chin, just looking <laughs> so over you're, his you're, head. You're, you're starting to become part of the, the, uh, the Roman conspiracy. <laughs> like, yeah, look like he <laughs> wow. That's crazy. Yeah, he's like in full damage control though. He's just like, how do I how do I clean this up? How do I clean this up? That's just what he's thinking. He trusts Jamie though. It's like the second he had her in this situation, it literally changed everything for him. Hmm. Like he felt like he had to run from the situation beforehand because it just became clear to him that like he has no control over his emotions actually. And like this sense of control and the sense of power that he always boasts and like walks around with like can just be taken away in a snap and realizing that vulnerability he just felt the need to just flee it's all fleeting i mean no pun intended you know but like all this power all these things that can just go away and go away by some factor of you that you can't control you know and that's the curse and that's the curse. And that's kind of the irony that, that you see these. And it may, maybe even makes you wonder, like, how has someone like Rita survived for so long? You know? Or have the, how have these elders? Is that why they seem so alien? Have they so detached themselves from what they used to be to where they have more control over their actions? I mean, that's... Go ahead. And I see how Rita operates with this coldness. And it's something that I try to emulate. And every time I peek into the the scenario and I, I see the beyond it, it makes me question my line of thinking. It's like every time I see that part of, of life, it kind of like makes me reevaluate everything. It's like looking into the secret world. I'm just, I feel less human and I feel more a connection to something more alien, like something that they've adopted, an attitude that they've adopted. And that's kind of how Marco views like the, like the paths, I guess it's just oh. like after a certain amount of time, like when you see enough, it changes your philosophy in a sense. And he feels like they've already had their philosophies changed by just their experience, the things that they've seen and the amount of time that they've experienced. I mean, that's an interesting outlier that you say there too, because I mean, your humanity dropped and what you witnessed with those spirits, you know, there are ghosts. And then what, what, what does it, how does that make you feel? We haven't really talked about even like seeing like those ghosts, like the children of the, or the ghost of those children and how they looked and how they, I mean, it could be weird to interpret uh, what they were doing. I mean, maybe we can do some kind of role or, you know what I mean? To like interpret like what you saw, why they came at the, why you were able to see them at that point. What, what, how does that all make Marco feel? Very confused. He did feel that kind of energy in the, in the place. He's not really sure. I don't think he's ever heard anything about Roman and children. Like, I think he's probably heard rumors about Roman. He's probably heard rumors about him being like a sadistic person or something. And he's kind of just justified that as like, well, I am too. Like, I, there's no need to gossip about stuff like that. 
he sees all these kids and he, he felt that energy and he's like immediately taken back. It was like a very hard thing for him to witness. And he's seen past the shroud. He's peeked into that. But seeing all of that, just like in front of him, all the children at once in his moment of vulnerability made him think about kind of like the childhood that he didn't have and stuff, just like the normal life that was robbed from him. And he probably felt some connection, not sure what it really is, but just like felt this kind of like longing when he looked into their like empty eyes and just saw all of them standing together as, as a collective series of people. Yeah. I mean, does that, does that even make your disdain for Roman more seeing that he's like, uh, he's like your uncle, uh, Silvano and the fact that like, you know what I mean? That he took away this childhood from these people, God horribly. And you can kind of put the dots together. Now, does does that, do you equate him to Silvano now like that? And also does this change your opinion of Rita at all? Seeing that she has kind of decided to like give us something like this, or are you still looking at like, well, we're all monsters. This is the Giovanni family kind of thing. Or, I mean, is there like a line that you have, like a hard no line that 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 you have when it comes to to horrible things that happen? So it, it probably takes a moment for him to put the pieces together. Like he's like, what were those spiritos that I just saw? They're somehow connected to this place. They're somehow connected to Roman. He is somehow involved in whatever took them to the to the other side. They're tied to him. Like, I understand how that works. I understand how spirits are connected to people, connected to objects. And it's like starting to click together with me. And it's like this painful realization that he's a monster too. And the family enables monsters. And that's always been the truth. And that's just the sad fact of it. And it really hurts him because... He probably does have a hard line with not wanting to see anything bad happen to children because he just remembers the pain and trauma of his own childhood and like the last bit of his humanity still, you know, he's not an empathetic person. He's very much like a, like sociopathic person, but he does feel mournful for that kind of lost innocence that he experienced and it does like resonate with him when he sees all of that. It like, it moves him in a way that he's like not really able to explain. And he just kind of like quietly accepts that like, okay, like, you know, Rita, Rita, Rita knows like she's, she's a monster too. Like we're all monsters and like, we protect each other. Like we, we protect the bad things that we do to people. And that's just what life is. And like, it hurts him, but he's just like, it just, it becomes clear to him more and more all the time that this is the way that life is. You better just get used to it if you want to make it. Yeah. And we can even tie that to that loss that happened just now, you know, and there's a moment where Jamie puts her hands on both your shoulders and she looks up at you and she's kind of like firmly holding your shoulders. And she's like, listen, those what's in room nine, it's going to start attracting attention soon. If, if that's not done tonight and they're out there during the day, the smells are going to start happening. So I say, do that. Get the results for Rita. That will calm this over. But Marco, like something is with the city. There's a reason why she called you here. And if anything, you gotta like, tr- you gotta like get your own power base. You understand what I mean? You have to start finding your own influence. 
Make your own ties if you can. Protect yourself. Of course the family's first. But there's a whole city of people like you. And if he is able to survive so long in this city, with the rumors that I've heard, that means if you can get that influence too, it might help you out. I think right now your main goal right now, Marco, has to be that you to show Rita that you're more valuable than him. You're right, Jamie. You're right. I have to see to that tonight. I'll see you back. I'll, I got to get some sleep when we get home, okay? I, I got to get a couple hours of sleep if I'm going to take care of stuff because I'm sure I'm going to get some phone calls tomorrow, okay? I'll see you tomorrow evening. I'm going to drive back to you. Don't worry. I'm not going to stay here. You take care of what you need. But if you need anything, wake me up if you can't, if you need to, okay? And be safe. And uh, we part ways in our own cars, and I'm feeling way more at ease. Jamie's, as always, has put things into perspective for me. She's told me what I need to do. She's kind of like a behind-the-scenes advisor, and Marco's taken what she said to heart. He's thinking about that. So you are driving back, like you said, you're calm. You, you're, we'll say that you were thinking about all the things we mentioned in the last hour, you know, about how like all, all processing everything that had happened. And you find yourself pulling up into the parking lot of these apartments. And just to remind you, this is a kind of like a, it was like an old, almost like warehouse has been renovated into like apartments, like the, the brick, you know, outdoor is red brick again. Um, this district of the twin cities, is known as the flower district where a lot of flower plants used to be at and they would create flower and then they would ship it on the river. But due to gentrification, it's kind of slowly getting built up. And this was like one of the, one of the targets of, of the new movement of rebuilding everything of gentrification of basically making it into these hipster like loft type apartments. I assume you're going inside or you're going inside. I don't want to assume that you're going inside or. Yeah, I'm going inside and I'm not even going up to my room first. I'm going straight to room nine. This has to be done right away. I only have a couple more hours of night. So you unlock the door and you open the door to this room nine. And the first thing that greets you is the smell. You can smell that like the bodies are, it's not like a bad smell and they've only been defrosting for like a few hours, but you can definitely smell. They haven't been formaldehyded. They haven't been handled properly like that. And you see the room is dark currently and the windows are closed and you get to see the bodies from the light that's coming in from the hallway. So you turn on the light and explain to us all what is the layout of this room. Don't worry about the amount of detail you get in doing it. So we enter the room and there's a large assortment, probably four or five black duffel bags that are zipped up with various implements inside. There's an antique wooden table that sits in the middle of the room with a candelabra on one side. Um, I have a lot of these memorial prayer candles that are on the window panes of any of the windows in the room. Um, And they're also on the ground and also on the corners of the table. On top of the table, I have the two black body bags uh, laid out and they're both zipped up. And... Yeah, that's probably it. It's a very sparse room. It just has what's essential. Um, I have like a stained glass picture that is kind of leaning up against a wall. It's not properly displayed. It's just almost a thing where you need to surround yourself with certain imagery and certain symbols to conduct it in the right way. So you see these two bags that are on the table. There's a large circular table here, there, and you know that what lies within them. And when you open up the first one, you slowly zip it down. 
And the first thing you're greeted with are these cold, blank, dead blue eyes that are staring ahead. If you enjoyed Eidolon, I highly recommend checking out Juarez on Fire. It's another of our Vampire the Masquerade games set in 1942 following the Pale Riders. Like Eidolon, Juarez on Fire highlights another faction of Vampire the Masquerade, showing the complex relationships and requirements needed to be a part of the Sabbat.